Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining us today on Brand Story, Inc., we've got a double dip here. We've got Jeff Volk and Deepin Parikh. Jeff and Deepin, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. Jeff and Deepin are connected in, in several ways. And, uh, you know, I think we'll, you guys have more things going on than uh, anyone else. So I'll start with the, the headline of why I thought it'd be great to have both of you on at the same time. And that is the fact that your background of co-founding VC Sports, uh, these venture capital communities in New York, Boston, San Fran. Uh, let's start there and, and share with our listeners the backstory of how you two connected uh, and have really kind of cultivated the investment community and in some major markets around sports, media, and technology. Sure. Um, as you could probably tell, Deepin and I are, are, have been doing this for about 10 years, so we speak at the same time and we finish <laughs> each other's sentences. Uh, so we look forward. Thank you for having us, first of all. Um, it's, it's, it's fun to chat along, alongside Deepin. He's one of the smartest, um, most enjoyable people to work with in, 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 in in lots of different environments. We um, we met, what, deep in 2010? I think it was 2010? Yeah, I think that's right. So I had just moved back from Boston. Um, I'd been in New York um, uh, on the consulting side, on the agency side. I'd been leading, uh, running um, digital media, advanced media for the U.S. Tennis Association and the U.S. Open. I moved to Boston for three years to get involved in the um, startup and entrepreneurial and venture world, working for Athletes Performance, uh, which is now called Exos, uh, and worked with a, a number of, of VCs, including Polaris, and came back to New York. Um, like all good love stories, I followed my now wife, uh, who was living in New York, back to New York. And I, you thought I was going to say love stories to deepen, but I, I <laughs> that one. Uh, but that, that's a separate conversation because the, 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 there's no love lost there. Um, and so um, I moved back to New York and my fear was that um, I was going to lose this, you know, multi-year deep effort um, building out entrepreneurial investment relationships by going to work for Major League Baseball, going to work for ML Bam. And I met, I met Deepin, uh, actually through a mutual friend, Steve Schlafman, um, who should get a shout out because he put us together, uh, and Mark Peter Davis, who uh, was looking at building out NYVC, New York Venture Community, and a lot of different verticals. It was going to be NYVC Finance, and NYVC Tech, and Women, and Sports. And Deepin and I were like, you know, this really should exist. So Deepin, you could talk a little bit more ab- about that, or um, I-, I could jump into it in more detail. But together, let's, let's just sort of give the story of how this got started. I think that would be that might be fun. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the, the way I always uh, tell it and, and really the honest truth is that uh, I came at it from the exact opposite angle from Jeff, which is I was at the time working on a startup. And, uh, you know, the really the challenge behind a startup in the sports industry in 2010 was the fact that uh, there just quite frankly weren't a lot of opportunities uh, for startups to actually have relationships or develop relationships with the sports leagues or the media companies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a big kind of gripe that I had. And really, out of selfish reasons, uh, when Jeff and I first connected, you know, we bonded over this mutual uh, kind of 
affinity, which was he wanted from a sports league side to really be more innovative and have access to a lot of early stage technologies. And I really wanted access to the sports leagues, teams and media companies. And so we decided, you know what, let's just put um, let's put our heads together. Let's get some smart people around the table. Jeff pretty much, you know, even till this day knows everyone in the sports industry. And so he brought the speakers together. Uh, the first panel was uh, here's another shout out. It was myself <laughs> moderating. It was Jeff Volk from uh, formerly VP of Business Development at ML Bam and Vishal Shah, who was the VP of Digital at the NFL. Yeah, and that was our first event. It was at a uh, a office where we had no chairs. Um, and yep, everybody was- stood, including inclu- <laughs> including our, 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 I think I think at that at that time our girlfriends fiancés now wives so that yep everyone stood and I think we had chips and pretzels and and, and beers and we, we've definitely taken it up a notch since then <laughs> yeah and and you know the the market has changed certainly when it comes to uh the willingness i think on the part of sports leagues teams and also startups to really come together and have more of a collegial relationship just learning from one another uh but the premise of the group has not changed which is how do you bring together really high quality people across all aspects of the sports industry whether it be an early stage company or be you know a senior level executive sports league how do you bring them into one room couple times you know call it once every six to eight weeks where they can learn about something really interesting from their peers and two where they can just have a beer and actually enjoy um being outside a really large conference setting so jay i don't know how much preparation you did for this conversation but if you thought just you were going to open it up and then deepen and i were going to talk for hours that 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 may that may be what, what happens so let us get back to you. You can ask whatever questions you like, but well, we could talk to you about this history for, for as long as long as, uh, as as people are interested. Well, I think it's great context, and I, and I dropped the ball on uh, Deepin's introduction, right? And, and Jeff, thanks for giving the background. I mean, it's why I'm so excited. Between the companies you guys have worked at, Deepin, currently a partner at Courtside Ventures, uh, early stage VC fund in tech, sports, health and fitness, esports. You're a board member of a handful of companies, probably one of the more recognizable ones that you've invested in, The Athletic, which has been kind of a media darling over the last couple of years. Um, and then Jeff, your background at, at BAM Tech and uh, Exos, what is now Exos and everything else. It's just awesome time to have this conversation. We're recording this right as we flip the calendar into May. So uh, unless you're living in, you know, almost everyone in the country listening to this is in shelter in place when you're hearing this. And so it's it's been a very interesting time over the uh, the last couple of months here, which, you know, you guys are you guys are on the hunt. You you talked about just saying, okay, let's let's build this VC community, NYVC Sports, and you just shared that. And I just thought the timing's perfect because you know, Jeff, you and I have communicated a little bit on social media about this. That just there there's been a. a, a it started to change, but for a while there, there was just a lack of innovation going on, it seemed. And it seems just to be, when you have an extreme situation like we're going through, it's also ripe for just emerging opportunities that come out. Um, and so I thought your brains and the way you guys look at the world would be really helpful to kind of spark listeners. But I guess the thing I, I start with a lot of folks here, and I'm going to have both of you answer this, is 
what we call morning musts. You guys consume a ton of content, and I'm just curious for each of you, your favorite sources of intel. What's in your email inbox when you get up in the morning that you, either newsletters you subscribe to, social media follows. Walk us through your content consumption in the morning. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to kick that off. Um, you know, I I generally focus on a couple areas. For me, it's uh, getting two sides of, of information um, on the work front and, and first and foremost is on the venture side. So, uh, you know, pretty religiously read um, Axios by Dan Primack, um, you know, Term Sheet, which comes out from Fortune. There's another one called Strictly VC. That really gets me up to date on the what's going on in terms of fundings and in terms of what's going on in the venture capital ecosystem. Uh, then shift gears to John Wall Street. Um, shout out to, to Corey, who puts that together. It's a really good, thought-provoking uh, kind of piece around one new topic each day. Uh, and then also Axios Sports. And then recently I've started reading a bit more around front office sports uh, and a few other publications that really dive into some uh, just industry topics. Uh, so that's really my, my morning. And then I, I really tried to uh, read some non-work related stuff throughout the day. So, uh, you know, I I've signed up for a I try not to subscribe to too many newsletters. Mm -hmm. but I've signed up for a lot of notifications are, you know, either on Twitter or uh, I end up pocketing a lot of articles. And then I uh, my weekend is for catching up ideally on a bunch of non-work related type articles, just more around mental wellness which is a category we do look at at sports, but I'm trying to get smarter around, um, you know, currently reading stuff on biometrics and trying to understand hmm. what the fitness industry might look like down the road without a phone, but maybe in your headphones. So hmm. just trying to get smarter. Um, I kind of, my, my definition of personal and professional in terms of reading kind of morphs together. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Truthfully, I, I love the sports, fitness, gaming verticals. I think we're all really lucky to work with an area we like. So uh, I really just will read across all those areas and kind of treat it all as work. Awesome. Jeff, what about you? What's your morning look like? Um, so Deepin referenced a lot of the things that I read on a daily basis. Um, sim similarly, I try to get a, a pretty wide um, view on both the macro industry, but also on the sports business industry. Um, I think what's so interesting for us about VC sports and, and um, again, now we're now in New York, we're in San Francisco, we're in Boston, we're going to launch London when things called events start up again. Um, <laughs> and so uh, it's sort of a global viewpoint on um, various aspects of what we, we do in our business. So um, I read Taylor Blumen's Sport Techie, I read Hashtag, I read Front Office Sports, I read the Synopsis Sports stuff, I read um, Kendall Baker and, and Alex Silverman in the morning um, consult um, periodicals. I, uh, I'll throw a second shout out to, to Corey and all his hard work at, at John Wall Street and Sports Illustrated. Um, I read a lot of Yahoo Finance stuff with Dan Roberts. I read um, Jabari Young and CNBC. Um, a ton of sport business and Eric Fisher and all the stuff that Sports Business Daily Sports Business Journal do from Abe to Orant and, 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 and the stuff that they do. I read uh, pretty much um, a ton on Twitter and I get a whole slew of, uh, of emails, um, hmm. which I try to peruse 
I hope I didn't leave anybody out that I, I read on a daily basis. Oh, that's good. Shout out I'm to. always but fascinated. There, there's, there's no shortage of, of, of amazing content that's out there that you can um, capture together and try to form your own opinions. Yeah, I always have the FOMO, the fear of missing out on what smart people are reading. So this is this is completely selfishly motivated, this portion of the program. So, <laughs> All right, so, so let me tell you, actually, we're going to launch a section. Um, one thing I think is super fascinating to the conversation that you were referencing um, we are launching an editorial voice. Uh, it's, been, it's about a month and a half old now. If you think about it, we're now what? We're now April 29th. Yep. Um, on March 11th, it was a Wednesday night. Um, it was shortly after Deepin and I came back from um, the MIT Sports Sloan MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference in Boston. Um, that was a Friday night. I took my father and my son to the Bruins game on Saturday. I took my whole family to the Celtics game on Sunday. You can tell I may or may not be from Boston. <laughs> Um, and then Monday we went in, we, 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 we pretty much went into quarantine. Um, and that Wednesday night, March 11th was the night that the NBA suspended the season, um, and, and sort of changed the way in which, um, live sports have been treated since then. And, and there's a lot of talk about, um, if you do things 21 consecutive days, you may form a pattern. And well, we're now more than double that number into the forties mid 40s mm -hmm. and a lot of patterns are are, are changing uh, we are launching a section uh, sport hiatus um, it is a, a editorial voice of um, of the BC sports community it's, it's not just one city but it's the global community and the intent is to celebrate uh, creative uh, uses of, of of technology of innovation of storytelling um, how do we recognize people that are doing unique things during this unprecedented window of time. And one of the sections that's coming soon will probably be, be done this weekend. Um, this is a, a, a passion project um, that I do very late at night and, and on weekends and with a, a great group of people, um, many of whom are on, should be recognized and are on our VC board, um, to launch a must-read section. And that is, here it. are all the things on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. If you come to one spot and you open this up, you will get the latest news on calendars, what's going on in, 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 in European, European sports are coming back in early May, uh, specifically soccer. And PGA Tour is coming back in early June. And there's lots of talk of other sports coming back. And so we want to create a dedicated home, almost like a Reddit's uh, take on being the front page of the internet, but the front page of what's going on in this world of live sports because we call it sport hiatus but really at the end of the day what it what it really could be called is people doing great stuff and how do we celebrate it dot edu yeah oh i love it in the hash it's the uh, on twitter it's at sport hiatus h-i-a-t-u-s singular, -U -S, singular sport sport hiatus. in yep. sport you've already got like 1500 followers on there super impressive and i've been mercilessly uh, tagging both of you during this timeline on the same thing. It's the one focus Thank I've you. been on is just the, it'd be like, I was actually pissed off in the beginning. It was just this lack of innovation. I was like, okay, how many replay games can we have? Like the media in particular, I was looking at media companies and kind of just spitting my venom that way of, come on, we can do better than this. Cause it seemed everyone was on their heels. But now that to your point on your 21 day habits, things are starting to emerge new trends and, and, I'm sure you guys both get asked this question all the time, but as we're starting to take, we're just at the beginning of taking shape of what might be, right? We don't even know when seasons are gonna start and all of those things that everyone that follows sports know. 
what are you guys looking at right now? How are you starting to envision where you're going to place your bets on 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 areas or sectors within sports that that have um, have you curious? DP, you want to you want to kick it off or shall, shall I go for it? I'll chime in. Okay, um, I, I I think these the call it call it what it is this 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 um, seven week and running window without live sports has uncovered a number of things. Um, number one, it's 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 uncovered a um, expedited, accelerated move to digital. Mm-hmm. Um, TV will always be great. Um, TV has massive reach. Uh, I think we're at about 82 million households. Um, when you're looking for a broad reach of, of content and significant media rights, that's not going to change. Um, while that number was 100 million households um, X number of years ago, it's now maybe 80, and who knows what, what that how quickly that will will drop over time. It's still a, 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 a cash cow and, a, and an important vehicle for any rights holder or rights owner to distribute their content. That being said, we are now in a marketplace where you can have your cake and eat it too. You can think about how you build your linear distribution platform. You can think about how you build your direct-to-consumer owned and operated platform. And that's the world I live in every day, thinking about how we build user experiences, how we build cohorts um, to create better personalization uh, and better recommendation engines um, and better overall user experiences so that people are getting um, the video they want in unique ways. Golf TVs are probably the, the best example of um, the old days of you logged in and you watched um, some video and you logged out. Now you get freemium models, you get AVOD models, SVOD models. On Golf TV, you log in, you have um, pretty much all of golf, the entire home of sport of golf outside the United States. You've got the ability to book lessons, you've got the ability to book tee times all coming down the path. Um, the ability to pull together editorial, video, photos, everything is a complete destination. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about what those experiences look like and how do we build them for uh, our partners, our clients, um, and, and, and across the industry. And the reason I said the part about cake and eat it too is that you can have a linear strategy, you can have a direct-to-consumer or an operative strategy, and you can also think about an intelligent distribution strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope you guys can hear me. I think yeah. this is an excellent time for the neighbor to be um, mowing their lawn. So um, if you hear grass cutting in the background, it's pretty loud for me. Hopefully it's not coming through the, the, the headset. We're good here. We're good cool. here. Good. Hey, Thank you. you. So yeah, so I, th- I think there's an opportunity to do all, all those things, to be smart and thoughtful about how you distribute, to be th- smart, uh, smart and thoughtful about how you own and operate. You can reach your core fans and you can expose your content to the, the casual fan who may be elsewhere and comes across your content and then becomes uh, more of a consumer and more engaged in what's, what's going on on a live basis. Deep in your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, look, I think at the end of the day, uh, anytime we're sitting in a time of uncertainty, uh, it is absolutely natural to gravitate towards, um, you know, w- what can we do more of in this downtime? I think one thing we need to all remember is sports is not a matter of if they're coming back, it's a matter of when. 
the way we've been thinking about the market in general, and certainly not our own thinking, it's just we've learned it from smarter people, uh, is the fact that sports needs to be viewed in the form of pre-vaccine and post-vaccine, not a pre-COVID and post-COVID. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of parts of the sports ecosystem will be able to function in the pre-vaccine era. And we're talking about, you know, being able to watch NFL on Sundays, uh, you know, being able to uh, follow and bet on action just because the actual content consumption piece in the linear and digital side will be back in action as soon as there's a good solution to actually being able to play the games. But until there's a vaccine, it feels very unlikely that we're going to be able to fill stadiums. We're going to be able to fill venues. And more importantly, an area we look heavily at is around not just the big uh, major market sports, but we look at something like youth and participatory sports. It's hard to see a time in which without having a vaccine, parents feel comfortable sending their kids back uh, to being around 40 other kids and their parents. They don't absolutely have to. Mm -hmm. And so we're we're really viewing everything from that lens, which is pre-vaccine, post-vaccine, what fits in the bucket today. Now, I'll tell you from an investment side, there are a lot of interesting companies that may fit on the post-vaccine or not necessarily grow significantly until the vaccine's there, but they may provide a really interesting investment opportunity today because the valuations may not be as stringent or there might be a discount on the valuation. So we're, we're being opportunistic in this environment, but just being really cognizant of exactly, uh, you know, no one knows the real time frame. But having a time frame in mind within which we think certain areas can function versus others. I want to. I want to kind of. Sometimes our conversations can lead to little echo chambers, or at least for me. And so I want to kind of bounce this off to you to see if you're hearing this or not. And so I started Teamworks Media 20 years ago, and I think the biggest mistake that I've made time and time again is I call it kind of the 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 trade mag uh, the trade magazine lag. And by that, I mean, five years ago, digital was here, stake in the ground. Digital's here, monetization's here, right? All this stuff. And, and you're looking at it through the sports lens. And we invested a lot of money and, and placed a lot of bets on that. And, and I, it took me a while to figure out it was still early, early stage. And, and I would argue, I mean, right before this call, I was on with a senior executive at a major sports media company. And... I asked the same question, and, and he he was saying that his bosses, his bosses, the president was saying they, his theory was that the senior senior executives have been so um, cash positive from the old linear television business model, right? Cable subscription and advertising revenue on TV, and still, sports digital was. A small piece of the overall pie and therefore at the highest level I don't want to say it's an afterthought but not a primary thought and what's changed to your point Jeff I think of 21 days what I'm hearing and this is what I want to ask if you guys are hearing similar things I feel like it's a moment for digital because every senior level executive is at their computer you know going down the rabbit hole of consuming content in a, in a total digital experience and we've just been kind of almost forced without live sports television for everyone to kind of be on the same page if it comes, oh, wow, there's opportunity, there's upside here. Am I telling myself a story or do you think this is a moment, uh, a milestone moment in terms of digital media content and digital media in general as in terms of it relates to sports of kind of catapulting it to, to that mainstream um, and, and more opportunity? Hi, Devin. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's absolutely a huge opportunity. When we when we think about it from a, a lens of when in our lives are we going to have people, this many people sitting at home uh, at one period of time where they may not have nearly as much going on on the work front or school front, I think we're looking at an unprecedented time in the history of the world. Uh, you know, I, I certainly believe it opens up an opportunity. The challenge that we've always faced is, uh, you know, we, we can't, look at the metrics of just the last month or two or the subsequent months and say that that's going to be the norm, right? At the end of the day, uh, we are looking at this from a, a long-term standpoint. So from the investment side, for instance, anytime we're looking at a company um, and we see their metrics and say March of this year or February this year, we have to normalize it. Mm -hmm. so what does it look like once things do return to some sense of normalcy, right? And so I, I think the opportunity is absolutely there. There's going to be incredible innovation coming out of this on the digital media front, uh, but it's going to look different. I mean, in, in a time where you're being innovative, but brands aren't necessarily spending nearly as much money, you got to find other avenues. And, you know, one thing to always be cognizant of is just how much money do you have to spend on acquiring users? How much money do you have to spend on getting the word out there and creating attention for your product? Because mm -hmm. um, everyone's spending right now. I was just chatting with a CEO earlier today of a large e-commerce company. And, you know, I don't think anyone expected when COVID first hit that e-commerce would actually be in a better situation, not, not as a you know, not on an individual company basis, but e-commerce companies that aren't necessarily affected by, let's say, travel mm -hmm. or you know, individual purchases would be in a better situation because people are just at home spending more money right now. Hmm. And so, you know, I, I think there are a lot of things we don't see today that are going to be huge beneficiaries right. of this right. market and sports world. Uh, obviously, it's natural for us to gravitate towards a couple things and make, you know, overemphasize those. But it's hard. I mean, we're not going to know for another six, 12 months who's the biggest winner of this. Um, I do believe there's some really incredibly smart people that are sitting in their houses right now thinking of the next great, huge company idea uh, who have the means to execute on it. And so we're excited. We're trying to find them. But it's also hard when you can't meet people. So it's a catch-22 for sure. Yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. I think Deepin is I, setting I, up a cocktail party. I hear some rumbling. Like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking we should have maybe done this as a visual because I think he might be mixing cocktails for us. It's four thirty. I mean, it, it's approaching happy hour cool. time. I think that's yeah. a, that's okay. Reasonable. I will cool. say that is actually not from my end. I think that might be Mr. Volk. Oh, perfect. All right, Jeff. <laughs> what are you cooking up? For I promise us? you. I promise you there'd be banter. So you know, we'll throw it back at you. <laughs> you may have read in this week's uh, Sports Business Journal. Uh, Deepin's wife is pregnant, so if anyone's drinking in, in the precastle, it, it, it is we know who it is. <laughs> um, so, but I, I'm always if we, we we can always have virtual virtual cocktails. Uh, it's five o'clock somewhere. It will be five o'clock our time in about uh, thirty minutes and about an hour and a half your time, Jay. So, uh, let me let me tell you a couple a couple of things I think that are that are that are interesting. Um, first and foremost, um, we are seeing a differing, different way in which people are consuming live sports or people are consuming sports. I, I, I've seen a number of, of reports that talk about how data is actually up in April of 2020, sports data that is, live sports data, relative to data in 2019. 
And you say, oh, well, how could that be so? There was live sports in 2019. There's no live sports or very little live sports in 2020. And the reason is we're getting far more granular. We're getting far more detailed in the type of data that we're producing uh, because of the uh, PASPA laws. Operators in, in, in betting environments are allowing for a far more um, wide array of, of gambling. And so you're starting to see darts and table tennis and virtual gaming where live data is driving virtual outcomes. You're seeing more by, by way of remote sports like like esports. You're gonna to start to see tennis and golf and other sports come back in ways in which people can uh, participate a bit more remotely. And so we're always thinking about that as a core element. Yeah. Um, people are craving content. I think The Last Dance is as good of an example of uh, people craving great creative stuff uh, Tiger Woods speaking over his win at the Masters, also great. NBA is doing some really cool things around simulated games, and um, Major League Baseball is now doing the same. Um, and so there, there are numerous examples. Um, look, I think the direct answer to your question is that you're going to find people consuming stuff in different ways. More people are watching sports documentaries and sports news in classic games than any other area of sports. In fact, sports viewership is up. It's not up as much as other areas of television. Premium long-form content um, is up the largest. In fact, film and movies and, 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 and entertainment TV shows are up, but live sports are up, even, even or sports viewership, I should say, is up even during a window where there are fewer live sports than there have been in, 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 our, in our lifetimes. So. Super fascinating topic, and and um, look, when, when Deepin says he's looking at an area, um, I think we could all be we could all do a heck of a lot worse than 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 follow the uh, the thoughtful minds over at courtside and throw our money right behind them. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You hit on something there. Um, the other conversation I've had with media executives is how CFOs are now weighing in and saying, so because at the end of the day. There's always a place for premium content. The Last Dance and the Bulls documentary shows that. It's extraordinarily well done. It's it's breaking all kinds of records. It's it's the epitome of high quality premium content. That being said, look at you look at NBA on TNT's feed, which I was today, and you've got, you know, Ernie Johnson interviewing Steve Kerr and it looks like crap and the production value is not, but no one cares because it's like it's fun conversation. So CFOs are now saying, remind me again why I need those multi-million dollar studios and 17 person crews sitting in a control room for this two person banter where, okay, I have 900,000 people watching this conversation and it's done on Zoom, right? And so that's the other thing I'm hearing is that the the normalization if you will of it's really kind of like a talent game right if the if the content's compelling who cares if it's off of an iphone a facebook live we're, we're all being conditioned to that where the content and i'm a content snob the content snob factor is is kind of going down but i want to touch on something you both mentioned and that is when and not if we return deep and you mentioned tennis and other sports what are whether it's through the prism of some of the companies you've invested in or things that you're seeing in the marketplace, how do you envision fan engagement changing? What is what does the experience look like to you from um, people being conditioned to engaging digitally in second and third screens as we go back to live sporting events? 
Yeah, so I'll just, if you don't mind, I'll take one step back in terms of you'd mentioned, you know, why a lot of uh, studio heads will look at it and say, why should we spend money on on production, right? Or why should we spend a lot of money mm-hmm. on certain types of content? Uh, we're investors in this company called Religion of Sports that Jeff's also uh, very close with. Uh, Religion of Sports is uh, they're behind the Tom vs. Time documentary, if you yep. saw that. Facebook, Steph versus the game, or Steph versus the game. Um, And, you know, logic behind our investment was they create the best content hands down. So the way we break apart content when we think about it from an investment side is one, storytelling, and two, more kind of, I guess the right word is more kind of banter conversation, right? So, Mm -hmm. like, if you were creating high-quality content, and that content has a place where people are willing to pay a premium, like The Athletic, for instance. People would always say, well, why would I pay for content when I can get it for free elsewhere? The reality is it's amazing writers mm-hmm. at the end of the day that are creating content that is personalized to the teams you like and you care about. Same thing with Religion of Sports. Religion of Sports creates incredible content around stories that can't be told uh, in what we believe to be any better of a way, mm-hmm. right? So I think if you're going to create a premium nature of content, there's always going to be a heightened price point um, and a willingness to spend on that. Now, if you're going to go and talk about just content in general that maybe doesn't have you know, a ton of longevity or is more focused on daily breaking versus mm-hmm. like long storm, you know, long form stories, I think you are always going to look for ways to cut costs yep. potentially. And so I don't think that dynamic changes. And in fact, to your point, it probably only accelerates coming out of this. Right. And so th- I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation. We all look back on in five years and say, well, maybe that was the tipping point where I, I always, by the way, I always believe people will pay a lot of money from a studio or media company side to bring on people that are going to drive engagement and viewership. Well, bingo, right? like, bingo. That, that's the key. That right is there. always going, that's not going away. In fact, that's going to be bigger. The question is, does it need to be super high quality production? Right. Does it even need to sit on linear right, right at the end? Of the day? Right. And so I think we're going to look back on it and we're going to be consuming a lot of that content in very, very different ways. And I think that's, I don't want to say that's fully here to stay, but certainly a lot of that is going to be here to stay post uh, the current market environment. Um, and Can I jump in on there, Deepin? I, I, I think you, you hit a huge point, right? And I think this applies to live sports, lives, applies to content in general. Uh, it took me a long, uh, um, to your point of religion of sport, at Teamworks, we've created a, I don't want this to come across as a plug. I really don't. We, you know, we've done uh, primetime documentaries on ESPN, on PBS. Like we've, we've made really expensive, high quality content, which candidly is really hard to make money on and costs a lot of money. And so, and we're proud of that work. I, I guess the the point the point was it was always hard to convince someone to pay more based on quality, right? Like, what's the extra fifty thousand dollars worth from ESPN or whatever it may be? Um, and but I think really where where I was going with this, and you hit it. It's like at the end of the day, to me, it's like the engaged community component, whether that's the athletic or barstool. Like I always use the example of. Barstool tries to if they can sell fifty thousand T-shirts for twenty bucks a pop, right? It's not about the the million dollars in gross revenue they brought in. The value of that fifty thousand p- 
people taking action is the stickiness of the community. And that's, that's worth totally. whatever, 10 X 20. There's a huge multiplier effect on that. And so I, I mean, think about it. They literally were acquired by obviously a, a very legitimate company in Penn gaming that is now going to use the brand that was developed their community to build sports books. That's unbelievable. Yeah. It's crazy. So, yep. Um, I, I would add that I think I think we've covered a lot of topics, so I've I've tried to take a few notes, and maybe maybe it was me sounding like I was taking making cocktails, but I'm taking notes because uh, I think there are three or four points that together um, may may wrap up a, a big piece of of this conversation. N number one, uh, great, and we just did a, a, a um, sport hiatus office hours with Ross Greenberg and Mary Carrillo. Yep. It was all about the value of storytelling, and great content with fans who are passionate about that that whether it be their affinity their team what have you great storytelling is a great content is always going to be king i would also argue distribution has a seat at that throne but mm -hmm. great content drives a huge piece of that number one number two live sports is super unique uh, because and i would hard be hard pressed to to, to I think all three of us would be hard pressed to come up with an answer if I said to you, name three or four shows, what channel they're on, what day they're on, what time exactly. they're on. The only answers you're going to give me, um, I believe, are the sport I want, the channel it's on, the time it's on, the RSN it's on, my or, or the out-of-market uh, ability to get it OTT. I can tell you um, pretty much all of the latter category and almost none of the former category yep. because live sports are a passion point and you watch them not time-shifted and you watch them at high concurrency, and that stuff's really hard to go do, mm -hmm. whether you're watching it linearly or digitally. So great storytelling, great content, high concurrency, live sports around passion points, and then you build in the fact that you, you, you talked about a few industries. Um, live sports are very likely to return before fans. I would say that's two weeks ago, that was a novel concept. Now I would say it's something we could all sort of agree that is the norm. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean? It means that um, in my world, we need to think about creatively at Delta Trey, we, we talk all day long about how do we create um, uh, unique ways of better storytelling sports. Does that mean it's um, virtual tailgate parties where people stay in their cars and go up their phones and get augmented reality and watch a video board and all go to a venue and, and, and share their, their enjoyment in a socially distanced environment? Or does that mean that AI and machine learning driven um, data impacts the audio of what goes on in the game because 10 um, basketball players running up, running up and down the court may not be sufficient to keep fan excitement? Or does it mean creating new technologies to splice back and forth between the game and fans at home? Maybe that's a great opportunity to recognize some of your greatest influencers or followers or maybe it's a great opportunity mm -hmm. to recognize some of your best customers longtime season ticket holders watching remotely on their couch and sharing it's just there's going to be a gold rush or a boom to innovation and each of these are environments that allow people to um try to create what's next and i talk about all the time that we have this opportunity to innovate but i think we even have more of an obligation to innovate because when i hear people say I can't, you know, I think I think it's going to be really interesting when things return back to normal. I almost I, I almost want to, yeah, you know, rephrase. I don't almost want to. I absolutely cut them off, and Deepin can attest to it, uh, and say there's not going to be the old normal. There's going to be a next normal or mm -hmm. a new normal 
for how we consume and what those patterns look like. I mean, just in the month of March, um, 156 billion minutes of, of streaming video are consumed. There's an estimate that says the top 70 plus SVOD streaming video on demand networks are going to generate over $28 billion in 2020. Mm. We're seeing real numbers and a fast migration um, of people moving to entirely new consumption patterns. I read an article yesterday um, that talked about how we all would naturally say, Nielsen, the the prime time window for, for consumption of, of content, Monday to Friday is 8 p.m. Well, in this window of time, um, during home quarantines and, and, and people trying to figure out revised patterns, that prime time window is 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Yeah. And people are programming differently as a result. So I think all those things together um, sim- sh- show a, a, an area of we're going to see a new normal. I had a conversation with a, a major architect firm um, a couple of days ago, and we were talking about wh- what does that mean if fans return to venues? And they're talking about how do we future-proof venues so that you have better entrance and exit into venues? How do you um, allow people to bring food in so that they're not forced to congregate in, in, in tight environments? Uh, do you sell maybe four families per section, so maybe you only have 1,000 or 2,000 people in a venue so you can allow some level of, of um, fan interaction, but in, in a remote way. I just read in, in, I believe it's Korea, they're putting cardboard cutouts of fans mm-hmm. in the crowd to, to make it look like you've, you've, you've got fans in the crowd. I think that's a little bit scary. If it's cardboard and it's a, a baseball going into the crowd, it might take a little piece of cardboard off. And <laughs> you, might, you, you, you might create some scared kids, but um, it's, all, it's all innovation and it's all creative and um, that's the world, the lens at which we look at the world through every partner that we we talk to all day long. Hmm. So we've gone a little heavy here on time. You guys have time for two more questions? Uh, sure. Of course, absolutely. Cool. Uh, toss up, jump ball for either one of you. Who's impressing you or what's impressing you um, during this time? Brands, leagues, teams, any things that have jumped out? Your, any of your companies you've invested in, any any of the above? What's what's? what's yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, just, I'll jump in. Uh, I'm not going to single out any one company. I think it's been incredible to see the momentum behind uh, and the very rapid shift in fitness from being mm-hmm. uh, in physical locations to digital. We've all read about them. Uh, but I would say the real uh, impressive pieces that consumers have been able to shift from going to physical locations to really adapting the digital side in mm-hmm. stride. Um, and I think it's pretty evident with how quickly uh, and how expensive dumbbells are on Amazon today, <laughs> uh, which shows just how uh, rapidly consumers have been able to uh, shift their habits. And if that's any indication for the future, obviously it took a incredibly, incredibly challenging time in our world for this to happen. Uh, I don't think it stays like that entirely, but I do think digital fitness in general is going to be a huge beneficiary. It's people now know exactly what they want, when they want it, where they want it, how they want it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that will not go away. Cool. Jeff. So I think Stephen took a smart approach. I'm going to follow it. Um, in not highlighting one company and potentially leaving one out. Um, there are right now, I think, three types of sports that you can currently consume. Um, one is live sports with no crowds. 
Uh, and you're going to see that more and more in European soccer. As I mentioned, you're going to see that in PGA Tour. There was uh, bull riding this past weekend. Uh, there were the NBA has tested and in, 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 in dabbled in, in, in games of horse. Uh, WWE put on WrestleMania at, at tight shots with no crowds. So you're seeing um, innovation and creativity in terms of how you produce live events in intelligent, safe ways without crowds. So that's mm-hmm. number one. Number two, we're seeing more um, esports or virtual sports. So that whether that's iNASCAR or EMLS or NBA 2K or eFIFA or uh, MLB The Show, you're seeing more and more ways in which people can compete against each other in environments where they can do so from their own homes. You're seeing professional athletes competing against each other. It's, it's good, fun banter. Anytime you have competition and banter and you can see people that you are used to seeing in one environment in different environments, that, that, that's always a lot of fun for fans, especially when you have an affinity or a passion for um, a specific franchise or uh, individual individual players or individual influencers. So that's the second one. And I think the third one, maybe there's a fourth now that I think about it. Uh, the third one is, is some of the compete from home stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing Peloton yeah. do more and more compete from home. You're seeing um, individual racing teams partner to allow people to get on, um, um, whether it be connected devices um, that are tied to their health or tied to, to, to heart rate monitors or compete in triathlons and other types of things where people are actually competing um, from their homes and they're normalizing that data in such a way that allows them to be able to perhaps compete in actual events when people are able to congregate again. And I think that's fascinating. Um, and I guess I guess the fourth bucket would be more of the simulated type of games that are driven by data that we talked a little bit a little bit mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, but I think those are four big buckets, and I think they're critical. I think a ton of innovation is coming out from um, broadcasters, from publishers, from leagues, from teams, from entrepreneurs, from investors. We are going to see a renaissance of innovation because um, there's an opportunity for that, and there's a demand for that, and fans can get as as Ethan said what they want, when they want. And so th- those who do it best are really going to have a great opportunity to win. Well, this is uh, this is awesome. I've got one final question for you because I could go on for hours with you. This stuff just gets me jazzed talking to you guys about it. So I appreciate the time here. Uh, the final topic is the, the nightstand book stack. What's on it? What are you reading? What's in the queue? Any recommendations? Yes. I'll tell you. Um, I would love to look you in the eye uh, and tell you that I am reading a lot of books. Um, the truth of the matter is we are busier now than ever. I, I, I read an article um, on Bloomberg a couple of days ago that said that the average American is spending three hours longer per workday mm. um, because they're unable to separate the balance of going to work, coming yeah. home from work. They're available. Um, there was a, in, in that article, for anyone who wants to, to, to read it, you can certainly – Certainly, the, 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 I'll give you a couple of sound bites and maybe they help find it, but it's a fascinating read. Um, I think the average American is spending three hours more. There's a story about a guy in the shower who watches his Apple Watch go off, jumps out of the shower, watches it, dries his hair, and jumps onto a call, and he's five minutes late and he's stressed out about it. Um, and, um, you know, that, that varies from country to country to country. And I think that's fascinating from a sociological standpoint. I, as I mentioned earlier, when we talked about the types of reads that we're um, focused on in our in our day jobs, um, the amount of 
of of business conversations. What I what I, what I will say, and I'm giving you a long a long answer to a short question, um, is that everyone's a little bit more available. Everyone's a little bit more paused. Everyone's a little bit more introspective. Um, I think everyone's a little bit more um, because we're not traveling. Every conversation starts off with, "Hey, how are you? How's your family? How are you feeling? You know, thinking about you." Um, and then we get into work. And so I'm having a lot, a lot more conversations uh, that start off personally. When they're on Zoom, you get a little glimpse into people's houses. Sometimes you see a cat or a dog or a kid <laughs> run across the screen. That's mm-hmm. always the highlight of my day. Um, and so with the amount of, of conversations that are going on around um, building and growing our business, um, which is tremendous, the amount of reading that we're doing around all the topics that we've covered t- today, uh, my my desire to <laughs> to balance a bit, as Deepin referenced earlier, around mindfulness and and, uh, and and a bit of yoga and meditation to to keep your head straight. And by the way, I have a four year old and a three year old, <laughs> so that is a long answer to a short question. Of there is no book on my nightstand. Nice. I get it. I get it. At present. Three I hours plus. To, That's look, a good factoid there. The, the increase of three I, hours. I'll buy it. Yeah, I look forward to reading a, to sitting down and reading a book again. I think if I sat down and read a book right now, all I would be thinking about is the 27 other things that I need to go do. <laughs> and um, I, I'd be like, I just read the same paragraph four times. What did, I wonder what that paragraph meant. Deep and bring some calm to us All right, Deep and enlighten us. Give us a whole bunch of books. Uh, I wish I had a whole bunch of books. I will say I absolutely loved reading Bob Iger's The Ride of a Lifetime, which I finished about two weeks ago. Mm. Uh, obviously, he, he is, uh, you know, he retired and has come back since, since the world has completely changed. Uh, you know, I can't say I've read a ton of memoir-like books like that, but he makes it incredibly engaging in terms of what he's learned. Also, hearing a path of someone who's been at the same company for 40 years, but gone through so many transitions, and also just the dynamics that he talks about having dealt with from board, being on boards, to just you know taking a company that was so focused on just a family-friendly atmosphere to want you know arguably one of the largest not the largest media company in the world mm-hmm. um was fascinating read i think it's it's all parts uh educational business oriented leadership and also just a good life story awesome well jeff folk deepin parik you can follow them great twitter follows deepin is at deepin d-e-e-p-e-n-p-a-r-i-k-h on twitter and Jeff Volk is at J-A-V-O-L-K. Follow them both along with at Sport Hiatus. And guys, thanks so much for joining. Really appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Really for having it. us. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.